So, Brother Barry, thanks for joining us. Yeah. Man, look, uh, just know, very proud of you for running a triathlon. If you ever see me running, run with me. <laughs> or better yet, pick me up. Because I'm running from something bigger and badder than me. So just, just know that if you ever see me running, go, that, go the way I'm running. Because what's ever behind me is scary. Um, just throwing it out there. Proud of you. I don't, I don't run. Um, <laughs> I need to run. I just don't run. Uh, <laughs> well, guys, we're going to be in Luke chapter 5 this morning, verses 1 through 11. And uh, while you're turning there, um, real quick, just, just so you know, as, as this picture comes up, this is a picture of the Sea of Galilee. I didn't take it. I just stole it off the Internet. Um, oh, just, just want to tell everybody. But this is a picture of the Sea of Galilee because that, that's where we're going to be talking about this morning. It, it's Jesus calling his first disciples uh, through the Gospel of Luke. Luke is this really, really cool book. Uh, Luke also wrote the book of Acts. Luke was not a, a quote, disciple of Jesus, uh, but he did the research. He did the, he, if you, the book of Acts is his kind of his first work from what I can gather. And he wrote it to Theopolis. Luke is a physician. He comes at it at a different perspective than the other gospels. He did get firsthand account from Peter, right? So, so th this is a credible gospel. I'm just letting you know that, that as we're looking at the four gospels, Luke was not there. Luke is the physician. He wrote the book of Acts. And he, he contends for the face. He did, a lot of, he did a lot of interviews with firsthand accounts as he wrote his gospel account. Though understand that. Um, as we get to this one, it, it was kind of funny. Um, I grew up in South Louisiana. My grandparents, uh, my, my grandpa fought in the war, and then he worked for the state. And when I-10 was done... He, uh, he moved to a little town called Cameron Parish, uh, a, little, a little area called Cameron Parish. Creole is actually where he lived. And uh, he opened up an RV park and worked for the state on a, a thing called Monkey Island Ferry. And there was no monkeys there. I always got disappointed as a kid. It, it, was, it was actually a, uh, it was off the mainland about a mile. And you, you jump on the ferry. And he was a deckhand, so he opened up the gates and stuff for the rest of his life. And there was a Coast Guard base, and there was some other stuff on this little island. It was a great place to fish. Uh, so I, my dad worked seven and seven in the oil field. My mom, until he broke his back, literally. And then my mom worked for Fruit of the Loom. She, she sewed for Fruit of the Looms for many years and, and did that stuff. So as growing up, every summer I spent in Cameron with my grandparents. I grew up on the water. Their, their house and their, their, their uh, campground was about three miles from the Gulf of Mexico off the Intercoastal Canal. Uh, I remember about 10 years old, I borrowed 20 bucks from my dad as a, uh, to start my own crabbing business. And then, don't laugh, I made a good money. Uh, I bought my first truck with that money. But uh, I borrowed 20 bucks from my dad, bought a, bought a box of pogey bait, and I started, uh, I started crabbing for a living. Uh, during the summer times, and I remember buying my first boat. Right, I, I saved up that summer and I bought a twelve uh, a, a twelve foot flat with a nine point nine with a tiller handle on the back of it. All right, I love. I still own that boat. Like I can put my hands on that boat if I wanted to. Like it's it's still mine. Uh, 
I love that boat. I have so many memories in that little boat. Uh, crabbing. My grandma is a, was a rather large woman. I, where I get my size from. Um, and whatever I would catch, she would cook for me that day. So garfish, catfish, reds, flounder, whatever I caught, she would cook for me that day. And it was like heaven on earth, let me tell you. I would spend hours. When I tell you I would spend hours, I would get up, get in my boat, because it was a 12-foot, and I'm a big guy, so I could launch it myself. I didn't need a boat launch. I could throw it in the intercoastal canal, get in it, put the little 9.9. I'd, drive, I'd, I'd travel about 10 minutes down the canal, and I'd fish the Gulf of Mexico all day long. If my kids tried that today, I would kill them. <laughs> Realize this. I am 9 and 10 years old. I don't know how I survived, right? I don't know how I survived. I used to swim with alligators and everything else. I, I don't understand this. But I love the water. I, I love water, and I live in the desert now, and I don't understand that, right? Uh, I have three kids, and my, my, my middle son, my, my son, he's my middle kid, he loves fishing, right? When we lived in South Louisiana, I would take him fishing. We'd go crabbing at, at my grandparents' house. Uh, we, we do all that. And we were sitting last week. It was so funny. We were sitting down at the house uh, this past week. I'm sorry, this past week we were sitting at the house and there, this story came on the news that this kid caught this giant catfish at Elephant Butte. I don't know if you saw that story. I didn't know there was catfish at Elephant Butte. I'd be honest with you. Um, I've, I've saltwater fished my whole life. I, I'm not really a freshwater fisherman. I've never caught a bass. Uh, but I've caught all the saltwater fish I could think of. And my son looked at me and goes, there's catfish there? I'm like, apparently. Let's go fishing, Dad. So we're working out a trip to Elephant Butte to go catfishing. I, I promise you that's coming up. My son loves fishing. And it's one of those things that just kind of relaxes me. It, it just makes me happy, right? It, it's just my happy place. Fishing and fishing with my son especially. And to see him get excited, especially when he catches something, like it is awesome. Uh, I, remember, I remember as a, it was a few years ago. My son was probably four or five. He was, he was fishing and we were fishing at my grandpa's house, the same spot I used to fish at and all the memories are flooding me. And all of a sudden, I hear, I hear my son, Dad, Dad. And I look over, and he's got a fishing pole, and it's bent. And the veins on his neck are, like, just sticking. I mean, he's everything he's got, he's rolling it in, right? And I'm like, you got it, buddy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want me to help you? No, I got it. And, like, he's taking steps towards the water. So I'm like, I'm holding his waist and kind of pulling him back. I'm like, you got it, buddy? Yeah, yeah, I got it. I'm like, all right. He fought that fish for about five minutes, which I know for that little dude, it felt like an eternity. He was like breathing hard and everything else, and he got it in. And it was a, it was a good size uh, flounder. And if you've never caught a flounder before, they're a flat fish, and they got a lot of muscles, and they pull really hard. So I was very, it's like one of my favorite memories of my son is, is watching him struggle and, and pull in that fish. And this is where we're at right here, right? Like I got caught by that, that bug that fishing bug. My, my, my son's been caught by that fishing bug, and I'm so happy that he is. But fast forward, right? So I, so I bought that little fishing boat when I was probably 9, 10 years old. I bought my first fishing boat. Fast forward until I'm 24 years old. I marry my wife, which I was born and raised Catholic. I married a Baptist girl, and we had a bet that I would never make her Catholic. Uh, Catholic, and she would never make me Baptist. 
I lost that bet, by the way. Just let's throw it out there. So, so I got saved at First Baptist Lafayette when I was probably 24 years old. And God's never let me go since. We, we were there for probably six months when I accepted Christ. I accepted Christ, and then some little old lady who I love to death walked up to us. Now, we have no kids, no nothing. She comes to find out she's the children's minister, and she sucked us into going in the children's area. My wife loves kids, and that's where she's at today. She's playing with kids at First Baptist Las Cruces. So we would sit there once every six weeks, and I was a jungle gym. Kids would jump on me and roll on me, and I'd just hold my hands out, and kids were playing, and I'd be like, somebody stinks. My wife would pick it up and go change, throw it back, and I was just a jungle gym. It worked out great for me. Then I started in RAs, and, G, and I started in RAs and helping out there because one of my friends needed help. Then my, one of my best friends in the world called me up, and Toby Daigle, and Toby said, hey, Barry, what you doing tonight? Just hanging out in the house. What do you need? Because I need some help. So what do you need, Toby? I got you. He says, I'm going to a place called New Beginnings, and I need you to come preach for me. And New Beginnings is this, this place where uh, teenagers, at-risk teenagers, it's a drug and alcohol rehabilitation for teenagers in Opelousas. It's in the middle of the woods. It's a beautiful place. Toby calls me and says, hey, I'm going out there. I'm preaching. Toby used to play in an acid rock band. That's how I met Toby. So he's, he, he's, he had the music down. He has changed since then, but he had the music down. And he said, I need you to preach. I'm like, Toby, I've never preached a day in my life, dude. He goes, you got it, bro. Come on. I said, all right, bro. So I showed up there, and I'm a guarantee you right now. If you offered $100,000 to me right now to ask me what I talked about that night, I, have, I could not tell you. For that much money, I'd probably lie to you. But I couldn't tell you what I preached on to save my life, right? But I can tell you that when I got finished talking, 10 kids accepted Christ. And me and Toby prayed with them. We had conversations. We prayed with them. And that started a three-year ministry for me that every Thursday night, me and my wife showed up at this place and we poured into these kids. And that bug has never let me go. As, as much joy and as much happiness as I get when I'm fishing with my son, it even countable to how much joy I get when I see people come to Christ. So Jesus, as we look at this, God has called all of us to something more than what we are. Let's find out what that is as we look in Luke chapter 5. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gesineret, that's the Sea of Galilee, with the people crowded around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put a little, off, little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out in the deeper water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so. But because you say so, 
I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at, his, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and uh, uh, partners, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid, for now you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and followed him. You got to catch this, right? Jesus has been doing ministry in the area of Galilee. He's from Nazareth. He's around the area. Everybody kind of knows him. He's been performing miracles. He's done all these great things. And and word of mouth has gotten out, right? Even today, word of mouth is still the best type of advertisement, right? We can put Facebook ads. We can do all these other ads. But word of mouth has it, right? Like, trust me, uh, Big Daddy's down here. Probably some of the best catfish between here and Cruces, I guarantee you. And you know how I found out about it? One of the guys from Cruces came up here and was like, man, we got to go up there and have some catfish. I was like, catfish, I'm in, let's go. So it's food, I'm down. So it's, we came up here and I found, the only reason I found out about it, not by a Facebook post, not by anything else, I found out about it because somebody I love, somebody I trust, told me it was good food. So I took them at their word and I showed up. This is what's happening Jesus is doing miracles. He's healing people. He's teaching with authority. He's all over the town. And people are saying, we got to go check this guy out. This carpenter from Nazareth, this Jesus, he's doing things I've never seen. He's talking in ways I've never heard. He's healing people. We got to go. So Jesus shows up and was standing by the lake. And you can just picture as he's standing, he's standing here, kind of where these people are. And people are crowding and people are pushing into him and people are are pushing in on him. And he says, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen. Now, now, I want you to get this picture. My little 12-foot flat ain't nothing compared to these boats. These these were commercial fishermen boats for their time. They were about 20 feet long, 7 8 foot wide. I mean, mean, they were large wooden structures. They, They were made to catch fish. So he sees these two boats. Right on the water's edge, and I love this, right? He looks at him and he says, and he, get, he, he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon. Now, this is Peter. He hadn't changed his name yet. This is Simon. Now, now I want you to realize this. Jesus does everything with intentionality. Jesus does everything with intentionality. There was no accident that he was there at that place where Simon and James and John were fishing. 
From the beginning of time, Jesus had made this divine appointment and he knew it was going to happen. Jesus knows that on November 17th, 2019, that you would be sitting in Cloudcrawl. We don't catch him by surprise. Jesus had a divine appointment with Simon, Peter, and John. Simon, James, and John. I'm sorry. Simon, James, and John. He had a divine appointment for these three men. It wasn't by accident that that Jesus got into the boat that was owned by Simon. He got into the boat, and I love this, right? He gets into the boat and asks him to push a little offshore. Simon and James and John were sitting there. They were partners in this fishing company. They were washing and tending their nets. Because you see, fishing in their day happened at night. So they fished all night. And they didn't fish rod and reels. They didn't, they didn't take a, like I do, take a rod, throw it out there and catch a fish. My family would do this for Good Friday. My dad still has the nets. He's got a 75-foot seine and a 150-foot seine. And what it is is we take it, we'd swim across the canal or take the boat across the canal, stretch it out, and we'd walk on each side of the canal. And it's this giant net that's about six to seven foot wide, 75 to 150 feet wide. And you go across and you come around and you, you just kind of swim back with the net and then you pull it in hand over hand. And whatever, whatever it catches on, any fish you catch would get caught in the net. If you catch a log on the bottom of the, of the basin, it would just tear the net and you just repair it. That's what they're doing. They've been fishing all night with these giant nets and they're, they're pulling them in and they're doing all these things. So any, any snags, any big fish that tears the net, they're washing the nets. They're, they're getting ready for the next night of fishing. This is their livelihood. This is what they were doing for a living. So I, I can see this, right? As Jesus walks up and he's teaching Peter, James, and John, they, they've heard about him. Everybody in the area has heard about him. I, I can see that the, the mending kind of slows down. The washing of the nets kind of slow down. They hear Jesus. They, they might have even kind of went to their boat and kind of just kind of sat in their boat so they could get a better vantage point of it, right? And then Jesus comes up and he got into one of the boats and asked him to put out a little offshore, right? I, I don't know, have, how many of you in here has ever owned a boat? Let me ask you a general rule. Do you give your boat out to anybody? Right? Yeah. See, if you don't understand fishing and you've never owned a boat, you don't understand this, Right? Like, boat means just put another $1,000 in it. That's what a boat stands for, right? So, so you never loan your boat out to anybody. Like, you're welcome to come with me fishing, but you can't take my boat without me. I know that might sound selfish and that might sound a little harsh. Own a boat and then you'll figure it out. It's mine. I ain't sharing. What do you do if Jesus asks to borrow your boat? What do you do if Jesus asks to borrow your boat? That's a hard one, right? Like for me, I'm like, <laughs> I've had a boat a while. God, like, can you borrow his? Like, no, no, you let Jesus use your boat. That, that's the answer. It's not the right answer, but it's the answer, right? You let Jesus borrow your boat. 
And Jesus does this amazing thing. He asks Simon, push off a little offshore. Communication classes that I've taken and studying this passage, all the crowds there, Jesus kind of takes it as a wayward pulpit. He kind of slips off so that way everybody can hear him and they can hear him talk. And if you've ever taken a communication class and studied this passage through that, that lens, the water actually echoes your voice. That's why when you're fishing, you're supposed to be quiet because, the, because it, it, you can hear stuff for miles because the water actually echoes your voice. So when Jesus pushes out and he's using the water as, an, as, as basically a sound system so more people can hear him. So as he's sitting, and check out what he does. As they push, as they push off, he sat down and taught the people from the boat. That is the position where the rabbi of his day would take. They would sit down in the boat and they would talk. Right? They'd sit in the temple and they would teach. So Jesus is taking this position of a rabbi and he's teaching. And can you imagine? Because we know James and John and Peter are in the boat, right? They're in the boat. And I can only imagine this. Can you imagine the smile on those dudes' face? You have a notable rabbi sitting in your boat. You have the guy that everybody's talking about, and you're less than 20 feet from him. I can picture Peter and James and John just kind of laid back on the edge of the boat, just soaking in everything they're saying. And James and and. And John and John looking because John loves Jesus so much, they, be, they become so close. I can just see this smile on John's face. Jesus is in our boat. Jesus is in our boat. Like, right? I mean, can you imagine how happy these dudes are? And then, and then Jesus kind of flips the script on them. He says, When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out in the deeper water and let down the nets for a catch. Now, now I don't know the, the Bible, and you, you'll never know, but I, I, wish I, was, I wish I was there. When I get to heaven, I'm going to ask about this question. I promise you. What was going through Simon's mind at that point in time? You, you kind of get a hint of it here in the, in, in the, in the Scripture. Because look what it says in verse 5. It says, Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. Can you see that? He's worked hard all night. Like, we've done, like, like, like this is our job. Like, like, you know the reason Jesus was called the carpenter? Because his stepfather was a carpenter. You learned your trade from your father. Simon, James, and John, their daddies were fishermen. They had been fishermen their whole life. Their grandpas were fishermen. This was a family business passed down to them. They had spent year, months, decades on the water fishing. They probably knew the Sea of Galilee better than anybody, especially the area in which they were in, right? They lived there. That's their area right? If I want to go hiking here, I'm going to ask one of y'all that, that knows the area really well and can tell me some good hiking spots, right? That was them. I, I could see Peter looking at him going, 
okay, look, look, we're fishermen. You're a carpenter. Why don't you build stuff and why don't you let the fishermen fish, right? Like, like it's not the right time of day. Like, like we fish at night. Like, like what's wrong? Like, this is not right. Can I say they're tired? Right? Look, look. Simon answers him. We've worked all night and haven't caught anything. Can, do you know how hard that is for a fisherman to admit in his pride that he ain't caught anything? Like, I guarantee you, I probably lied about the size of my son's cast, uh, fonda that he caught because it probably was probably that big. But I said that big because I'm a liar because I'm a fisherman. If you know a fisherman, you know a liar. <laughs> right? Come on, everybody who wants a boat, say this. Y'all know it, right? Right? Um, <laughs> you ask my son how big that, that flounder was he caught, his arms will go out to here, and I'll be like, all right, buddy. Um, <laughs> but, but that's what it is, right? So Simon didn't even have anything to lie about. Simon had to swallow his pride and say, I didn't catch anything. And I've fished this lake for my entire life. So there ain't no way you're catching it, Jesus. Do you know how tired it is of hauling in a net hand over hand over hand and drawing nothing but water? Do you know how discouraging that is? you know how heartbreaking that is? Like, I've been out fishing and not caught anything. And it was heartbreaking, but it was still a good day because I fished for recreation. When they caught nothing, that means their family ate nothing. That means there was no money coming into the house that day. This was their livelihood. They have hauled water all night. They're a special kind of tired, right? They've washed nets all morning. Now they've got this carpenter, teacher, Jesus in their boat, telling him to push out, telling him to drop his nets. Do you see the arrogance in Simon's voice? Master, come on. But I love this, and I read it twice when I was going through it. But... Because you say so. Look, Jesus, because you say so, I don't like it, I don't want to do it, but because you say so. And I love this. I will let down the nets. Guys, there's some times in your life that you have some divine appointments with Jesus and the only reason you do them is because he said so. You don't want to do it. You're tired. You're exhausted. And because you say so, God, I'm going to do it. And can you say that Simon did it probably haphazard? This idiot carpenter. I don't know what's going on here. I got to do this again. I just cleaned this boat, right? Don't tell me you weren't saying that. How many times I got to go talk to these people? Come on, God, find somebody else. I don't want to go do a hospital. Come on, God, right? Why is this happening to me? I, I pay my tithe. I go to church some Sundays. I'm good, right? Or is that just me? Because it's definitely me. Um, when they had done this, and check this out. When they had done this, now, now, this is the amazing thing right here. When they had done this, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. There's actually, when I was studying for this passage, studying for this sermon, there's actually a theological debate 
on what miracle happened here. That Jesus, that the miracle of Jesus knew where all the fish were, or the miracle is that Jesus put the fish where, put the fish in the net. And there's this big giant theological debate. So what's your thought? You want to know my opinion on this? It's real theological. I don't care. You want to know the the second part to that? It doesn't matter. Because either way is awesome, right? Either way is a miracle. Your your definition, your your answer is in the definition. It is a miracle either way, right? Well, like, knowing where the fish are, knowing whether Jesus put them there, it it doesn't matter. I, I don't care. Jesus did it. And that's the miracle. That I mean, can you imagine these guys' face? Because I know from handling these nets, and if you don't understand this, to take my word for it, you know the difference between a small fish and a big fish, especially in nets like that, right? Like I could tell you when there was an alligator in our net just by the way it pulled. And I could tell you that I hated that because then I had to get him out. And that was just never fun right? Because he liked to bite you and slap you with his tail. So, but like when we were catching and, and, and you would pull that net across and, and we were like, oh, this is going to be a bad one. Or sometimes you'd pull that net and you'd be like, y'all got the buckets? Because th- there's a lot, right? Like, like you could feel it. Can you imagine those three guys' face? As they put their hands on that net and they're just thinking it's going to be another wasted trip. And they pull that first tug, and it pulled back. And they looked at each other, right, with this confusing look. And the Bible doesn't say this, right? But can you imagine the smirk on Jesus' face? <laughs> He's 100% God, 100% man. And if you don't read the Scriptures, if you, if you read the Scriptures as holy and, and just don't understand the sarcasm and the humor in Scripture, you miss scripture, right? You miss a whole section of it. You put 12 guys together, 13 guys with Jesus walking around for three and a half years. Oh, there was some, there was some pranks going on. I guarantee you. So I can just, and the Bible doesn't say, but I know when I get there, I'm going to ask this question. It's like, you can see the smirk on Jesus's face. Kind of like, I told you so, but he wouldn't say, I told you so, but he'd be like, (laughs) you doubted me. And they're pulling in this net, right? They're pulling it in to the point that it's breaking, and again, Scripture doesn't say this, but, but Jesus being a humble servant, you know he wasn't still sitting where he was teaching going, I told you, boys, y'all do a good job. You know Jesus was in there getting his hands dirty, helping those boys pull that net up, getting that net to where they had it up. And I could just see them as they, the fish start coming up, the, the confused look on Simon and the smirk on Jesus' face. The boat, the nets are starting to tear. They're panicking. We don't want to lose the catch. Come on, hey, we need help. So they called their other boat to come help them with the other crew to come help them. They get in. They load up the boat to the point that it's sinking. And I love this portion of it. Simon Peter saw this. He fell at his knees. And said, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. He 
Do you see the change in Simon? Verse 5, he looked at him and said, Master. And Master is just a sign of respect. It, it was just the respect that he was given Jesus for being a rabbi, maybe being a little bit older than him, whatever it was. It was like us saying, Sir. Yes, sir. Right? It, it was just that line of respect. You drop down in this little bit of time, you drop down to verse 8. Simon Peter is kneeling in front of Jesus and begging Jesus to go away from him because I am a sinful man. I've heard what you've taught. I've seen your miracles and I've seen this and I do not deserve for to, to be in your presence. Go away from me, God. Leave me. As Simon is pushing away, as Simon is drawing away from Jesus, Jesus is pushing in. Jesus is drawing close. Have you ever recognized your sin? This is where Simon is at. He has recognized his sin. He knows his heart, and he doesn't want to be in the presence of the Lord. And God says, no, I've got you. He pushes in. Jesus pushes into Simon. Jesus then looks at Simon in verse 10 and says, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catchers of men. Do you realize when you recognize your sinfulness and you come to Christ and he forgives you of everything, and as, this, as the worship team played earlier, that the cross has paid it all. The cross has covered it. Simon recognized his sinfulness and he was no longer defined by that sin. Aren't you excited that you are no longer defined by your past mistakes? I, I, I'm going to be 100% honest. When I mentioned Toby, the first time I met Toby, he was the lead singer in an acid rock band, right? I love that dude. He's one of my best friends now. I was bouncer of the club he was playing in. That's how I met Toby. I paid my way through high school and A&P school and some of college being a bouncer in a bar. I know the past mistakes of my life. I know the sin of my life. I know that there is nothing I can do to make up for the idiot things I did when I was a kid. I know there's some of the idiot things that I've done as an adult. So when Simon hits his knees in front of Jesus and says, go away from me, I feel that. I can own that. What I can't own is Jesus walking into me and saying, you will now be fishers of men. I've called you to do more because you are not defined by your past mistakes. Your future is not defined by your past mistakes and you need to stop letting your mistakes keep you from doing what Jesus has called you to do. How many of us, but because you say so is not enough, but because Jesus says so is not enough. 
Because if God really knew my heart, because if God really knew what I did, if God really fill in the blank, He didn't die for me. He didn't die for me. God has some divine appointments with all of us. And our mistakes and our sinful past and our sinful present hinders us from doing what Jesus tells us to do. Can we agree on that? That we've hung out with Satan so long that he knows the buttons in the back of our heads to push to prevent us from going and doing what we're called to do. As Jesus called these three guys on this sea 2,000 years ago to become fishers of men, he's calling each and every one of us to our own appointment, to be more than what we are and to become his people. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he's calling you to that. If you have, what divine appointment, what what in your life is he calling you to? What area of your life is he calling you to? C.S. Lewis has this great quote in Mere Christianity. And he says this. Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of you. Uh, I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I want you. I spent years and I say, I spent summers after summer after summer in a 12-foot flat in the mouth of the Gulf of Mexico catching fish. Ever since I was 25 years old and God called me to preach, I've done it. Right, wrong, indifferent, I've done it. And I've watched God work. As the worship team comes up, I'm going to ask you a question. What is God calling you today? In what area of your life is he calling you? Is he calling you to a personal relationship with him? Is he calling you to salvation? If that is the day, I will be up here. We can pray. We will celebrate that. If he is calling you to whatever, maybe it's as simple as talking to your neighbor. We will celebrate that. Don't leave today without the divine appointment that he has for you. Because he makes, he is intentional and he makes no mistakes. And he loves you. And he wants what's best for you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you most of all for your death and resurrection. And paying for our sins, past, present, and future. And Father, you loved us enough to send your son so that we would not have to die. And if there's anyone in this room today that does not know you as Lord and Savior, make today the day they do. Father, for the rest of us, let us be open for those divine appointments. Let us be intentional in our lives to seek you out and find you and have those divine appointments. You are calling us all to much more. Help us to live up to that. 
And it is because you say so, we walk in obedience. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen.